Hello, mamas. Welcome to the Motherhood Podcast. I'm your host, Jade Abbey, motherhood empowerment coach, founder of the Motherhood Community, and together we are going to redefine motherhood. This podcast is for any mama out there that is ready to step into her power, rediscover herself, and be inspired to thrive as the best mother she can be. So join me each week as we begin to create bigger conversations around the journey of becoming a mother, as well as interviews with the most inspiring mothers from around the globe. So as a community, we can start to empower and uplift each other in this wild but beautiful journey called motherhood. This is episode 18 and today on the Motherhood Podcast, we are joined by fellow mamas and founder of the Mama Well, Brooke and Alyssa Miller. Brooke and Alyssa were two registered dietitian mamas who both came to realize just the lack of support that's out there for mums who want to prioritize their health without trying to keep up with the chaos that fad diets and food tracking demands. After years of being registered dietitians and struggling to heal their own relationship with food in their bodies, they have now made it their mission to support and guide mamas in putting into practice the steps that help them to find a full, happy, healthy life. So in this episode, we chat all about Brooke and Alyssa's personal journey within motherhood and what led them to support mums in their health. We talk all about diet culture and the societal pressures mums experience around postpartum bodies. They delve into the importance of mothers healing their relationship with food and their bodies and the flow-on effects this can have onto our children. We also talk about the mistakes mothers can fall into around their health and how mothers can shift these through some powerful mindset shifts and implementing simple, effective, healthy habits into their day-to-day routines. So without further ado, let's bring on the beautiful Brooke and Alyssa. Welcome, Alyssa and Brooke. It's so good to have you both on the show. Thanks for having us. I'm so excited to have you both join me today on today's episode. And I can't wait to dive into this topic around um, postpartum health and how mums can start to support their health more intuitively and build that healthier, more empowering relationship with their postpartum bodies. Um, I know from my experience Uh, the pressures that women face around this after having a baby can be extremely overwhelming. And there's a lot of noise. There's a lot of noise that we're exposed to around, you know, the whole notion of bouncing back and getting back into shape as quickly as possible. And the standards that we're faced on social media, the consumer market and around postpartum weight loss, there's just so much and it's a lot for mothers to deal with. Um, So I'm super excited to kind of get your share on it and um, learn a little bit about your journey and what's kind of led you to what you do so could we maybe start with with your personal journeys through motherhood and what's kind of led you to supporting and coaching mothers in the area that you do yeah um, I can go first so my motherhood journey has definitely morphed into something kind of I don't know, crazy and unexpected. So I got pregnant with my son two years ago, well, two, almost three years ago. And, um, we had quite a rough pregnancy. Um, he wasn't growing well, placenta was failing. He has down syndrome. He needed open heart surgery after birth. So we definitely had like a lot of ups and downs. So my, like my first six months of motherhood was living in a hospital and going through open heart surgery and like a lot of stress and being tied to a pump. And so I really entered motherhood in a, in a much different light than I anticipated, but it was also really beautiful. There was like a lot of beauty in, in there too. Um, so I will say that like motherhood is just something that you never really, you just never know what to expect and it's never exactly what you anticipate, but it's just so much better than you can imagine. So that's kind of like my journey into motherhood. And then, um, we can share after Alyssa, just a little bit about how we like became this like partnership, um, and best friends and like how we decided that motherhood and helping moms is like what we wanted to do. Yeah. So that was Brooke. I'm Alyssa from the mama. Well, and yes, kind of, um, honestly, this similar experience around motherhood, right? Like it's not what you expect. It's not what you picture. And you kind of have this like 
these rose colored glasses on about what motherhood's going to look like and feel like. And what I noticed specifically was these huge swings in, um, in and during like pregnancy and postpartum and, um, early motherhood and these huge swings, especially when it comes to viewing my own body and the changes that it went through and also like societal pressures, right? Like you get pregnant and all of a sudden the messages are, you're eating for two, you're eating for two, you're eating for two, gain weight, gain weight, gain weight. And then all of a sudden you have the baby and it's like, lose the weight, lose the weight, lose the weight. Mm -hmm. Like it is so extreme from the pendulum. And there's like this permission, but not too far. And then like this idea kind of, you mentioned in the beginning too, of like getting, getting your body back. And it's, you know, it's one of those things that Brooke and I both believe you never lost your body. Your body's Mm -hmm. along for the ride the whole time. And it's going to grow and stretch and change and adapt to, um, your experiences and your life cycles and what, you are doing as a mother and how you are supporting or feeding your baby. And it's kind of a missed opportunity in my experience or my opinion that culture can be so supportive of women in these times and, and look at like in awe and in beauty of what they can do. Mm -hmm. And instead it's filled with just, you're not enough. You're not doing enough. You should be doing more. You should, you know, do these things, wake up early, even though you're up all night feeding the baby to go work out so you can lose the baby weight. And so for me, I had a pretty traumatic first birth experience, definitely not, um, you know, as bad as it can get out there. I know, but for me, it was not what I pictured, not what I had planned. I mean, if we could just see all the women listening right now to raise their hands, if their birth plan went according to plan, I'm sure no one would raise their hands. (laughs) Right. Exactly. And so I just didn't realize that like I'm a planner. And so when someone told me I can make a birth plan, I was like, great, check, 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 check. Here's what I want. And I didn't get nearly any of it. And it was so much to unpack that I didn't have the time or space to unpack it because all of a sudden I was a mom and I was bringing home this baby and I was responsible for it and I was breastfeeding and you know it was so much and I just felt like I was getting um like in an avalanche like just completely surviving through those first months while also being told these messages from the outside oh enjoy it slow down Mm. cuddle your baby but then there's like this subtle hint of like but also lose that weight. And also you need to be energized and also you need to do all the things and have all the research. And it was way too much for my mind to grasp and kind of like, okay, which one is it? Where do I focus my attention? And then with my second, it was um, such a smoother transition because my expectations had been rearranged and I had done so much work to protect what was important for me. And, and that's where I really found um, some kind of solace, but it's hard to do that the first time around, you know? Hundred mm-hmm. percent, and it's that's very interesting what you just said, and I've never, I don't think I've ever really thought of it like that. How it's so true when you know we become pregnant. There's all these messages of you know eating for two, and um, and then all of a sudden the complete extreme of lose weight now, snap back, get back to the way yeah. you used to look. That's very interesting, but it's so true. Right. Mm-hmm. It's just like society wants your body to look as if you've never had a baby, like. Oh, Mm -hmm. go back to normal quote unquote, and just pretend like you haven't gone through maybe a C-section where you have this massive scar or that your body just a child came out from down there, (laughs) right? Like that you shouldn't have stretch marks that your boobs shouldn't have changed, even though you're feeding your kid, you know? And it's like, of course our bodies have changed yet. There's this intense pressure of, well, in order to be a good mom, it's like this morality of, oh, if, if you want to be the best mom, you have to also look the part and you have to look a certain way and you have to look as if your body never went through this traumatic experience. And even if your birth experience goes as planned, it's still a trauma to your body. I mean, babies, mm-hmm. you know, exiting our bodies is, is not the easiest thing to happen. Our body needs to rest and heal afterwards. Um, yet it's almost like, it, it is really interesting in so many other cultures that fourth trimester, it's like people come and wait on you and tell you to rest and bring you food. But here in the United States, it's like, oh, well, you better go work off that baby weight. Oh, you better go back to work after six weeks. Like it is just, it is just so interesting how every culture is very different too, with like the expectations postpartum. But I think in, in different countries, there is a, a really intense expectation of, not only do you have to care for another human and take care of your family and do stuff around the house and be a working mom, but you also have to like pretend that your body has never gone through anything, which is insane, but that's kind of where we're at with society right now. 
Absolutely insane. And you're right. And it does it put this puts this level of shame on us having a child and the body, like our postpartum bodies, when really like we should be having this complete mindset shift of we have just created life. We mm-hmm. have just birthed a human, another human being mm-hmm. and how incredibly beautiful and how incredibly powerful that is and how incredibly powerful our bodies are. Right. Yes. And even mm-hmm. Brooke, you touched on it, that that's considered a compliment to say, oh, you don't even look like you've had a baby. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. that turn of phrase so right there. It's like, why is that a compliment? You know, I right? mean, it's like, it's I want to look like I yeah. just grew a human. For yeah, birthed a human being. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Wear it as a badge of honor is incredible. Yeah. yeah. And so how did you guys meet and how did you, how did the mama well um, come into existence? Oh yeah. man. So we actually, <laughs> I was on maternity leave when Brooke got hired at our clinical job and that's where we met was our clinical job. Um, obviously both dietitians. And just the moment I came back, it was like, you could not stop the Millers. We're both Millers and not related, just redundant. We always say, and you could not stop us from talking. And I, it, it was such a podcast junkie and Brooke was too. And we would like give each other recs mm-hmm. back and forth. And I was like, Hey, we should start a podcast. Like I knew I wanted to start a podcast, but I knew I didn't want to do it alone. <laughs> and I was like, Hmm, let me think for 0.2 seconds, who would co-host it with me? <laughs> Obviously Brooke. And we just had this idea of coming on and chatting about how diets don't work and they're actually quite harmful. And, um, I had, like I said, I was coming back from maternity leave and Brooke really had a few, I guess maybe a year or two on me in this healing work. And so she was kind of my light to learn more from, and, um, especially postpartum, I just clung to her too. And we, we continue to feed off each other and grow together and we knew we wanted to share it. And so we started the podcast and that podcast evolved into a community and it's just been really powerful ever since. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, exactly. And I think we really pivoted to working with moms specifically in the last few months. And the reason behind that was a, we're moms. We talk about motherhood all the time. Mm-hmm. So other people are probably like, eh, this doesn't really apply to me, but really we just saw that these moms postpartum are so vulnerable that the diet industry, you know, of course it's a multi-billion dollar industry, but they really target moms and they really, they make money telling us women that our bodies are not good and they're not worthy. And that is how they keep on making money. And postpartum moms are an easy target. And Alyssa and I saw that and we're like, this can't keep happening to moms. Like mom, haven't moms have enough to deal with. They have enough on their plate. They have enough stress. Um, they don't need to also try to maintain or get this perfect body. Like that should not be at the top of their priority list. And not only that, we started to see this cycle over and over where moms would diet. And then, you know, they dieted because they saw their mom's diet. And so grandma's dieting and mom's dieting. And now our daughters and sons are seeing us talk badly about our bodies and they're starting to diet at, you know, a lot of kids are dieting at the age of eight, nine, um, which is just heartbreaking to see that kids in elementary school are hating their bodies and they're starting to diet and they're starting to restrict and eating disorders are becoming more prevalent. And Alyssa and I, we just actually had a really deep conversation last week. And we were like, why are we like, why are we doing this? We know we had like a, like a, a long conversation. And it was like, we're really doing this for the next generation because the next generation deserves better than what we've had. And when moms heal their relationship with food and body, that's going to help the kids, uh, heal their relationship with food and body. So it's just like breaking the cycle. Yeah. Mm. It was becoming really evident every time we got into it with our members inside our community and having these deep conversations and really rooting out where these thoughts and beliefs are coming from. And so many of them would say things like, well, my mom brought me to my first Weight Watchers meeting. Mm -hmm. And well, my mom only would have slim fast when we were all having pizza night. And I just knew that at some point, maybe after puberty or whatever, I would have to do that too. Or, you know, it, it just rooted down to this place of, it was my mom. It was my aunt. It was my sister. It was my, you know, guardian or what my neighbor you know, it's just the impression and and the influence we have over the next generation is so powerful amongst the entire world, but especially in that family unit and that generational cycle. And it breaks our heart to watch, um, not only mom struggling with it and, and falling prey to some of these tactics, like Brooke said, and, and believing that they're not enough, but they could be, if they just do this next best thing. And, um, that's heartbreaking enough. And we know how powerful it is to heal 
your relationship with food and with your body and, and get to this place of feeling fulfilled and internally knowing that you are striving for health. You are working on healthy habits that are actually sustainable and, um, worthwhile and make you feel good and energetic and have little, if not nothing to do with the way your body looks, but more so how it feels. And then we also just saw the value in when we can do that, when we step into that power, the like waves that it has on the next generations for people to look up to. And we always say this, um, but like to be a lighthouse, like to be a lighthouse for the next generation of saying, Hey, this is what it could look like for you Mm -hmm. is so powerful. And so few of us had that growing up and we just knew that we had to do something about it. Mm, to be a lighthouse for the next generation I absolutely love that and you are totally speaking to me right now like (laughs) oh did they that is beautiful and Christina Bruce I don't want to I don't want to take her (laughs) thing or anything because we always mention her um she she once said that to us and we have forever held on to it because it's just such a powerful image to be that like so powerful and I completely align with everything you're saying there and is the main driver for the platform that I've created through Mother Hair is is coming to understand how crucial the health and well-being of mothers are to our next generations Mm -hmm. and shifting and why it's so important for mothers to shift that mindset from being these self-sacrificing humans to putting themselves first and how that actually benefits our children Mm -hmm. and that it's not selfish it's quite the opposite Mm-hmm. Right. It truly mm. is one of the best things we can offer this world, right? Mm. Starting at home and changing the dynamic at home and raising these children who are so secure in themselves and in their mm-hmm. body and in what they're built and created to do that they go out and do it. I mean, that is one of the best things that we can do here. A hundred percent. And yeah, and I was going to move into that topic around, you know, the importance of healing your relationship with food and body and motherhood and um, just kind of the impact, the flow on effects that it does have within motherhood, not just for yourself, but for your kids. And um, what do you feel like are the biggest mistakes, if you like, that mums are making currently around their health and well-being? I think, I think the number one thing is we feel this pressure. So it's like the cycle. We feel this pressure of, we have to lose the baby weight. We have to get our bodies back. We have to bounce back after baby. So what's the first thing that comes to mind? And for most of us, it's count calories, restrict, cut out certain foods over exercise. And what ends up happening when we're doing those things consistently is our stress hormones elevate our metabolism, um, slows down. And then we start to run into issues with like mood and energy and digestion and things like postpartum depression and anxiety are, are real struggles. And when we're not eating enough, it can actually worsen those symptoms. So, um, we're kind of seeing this cycle of, okay, we have the pressure, this immense pressure, and sometimes the restriction and cutting out foods, it isn't even for trying to get our bodies back. Quote unquote, sometimes it's just simply we're overwhelmed. We're stressed out. We're burnt out. We're tired. We don't have boundaries set. We don't have help. And so we're not eating enough. So I would say the number one issue that we see is moms are not eating enough. They're not getting enough fluids in. Um, and again, that ends up leading to a lot of other things down the road. Um, so that's probably the number one issue that we're seeing. Absolutely. Mm. And that, that diet cycle can just lead to so many other things. Like Brooke said, really slowing down your metabolism, um, and messing with your gut health and keeping you from, you know, supplying enough milk. If you're breastfeeding, mm-hmm. um, also lo- limiting your sex drive and decreasing your sex drive. I mean, how many times is that like a joke that goes around in motherhood of like, mm-hmm. Oh, once you become a mom, you never have sex again. And I'm not saying, Oh, it's all great, but when you're eating enough <laughs> and you're feeling yourself, of course, our body shuts down. That's actually biological. There's a reason behind that because if our body is under stress and we think we are going through a famine or we're going through extreme stress, our body's going to say, Hey, no more reproducing. No, thank you. And they're shutting that down. And so you can actually think of it like a huge warehouse. Um, and you know, when you're keeping all the lights on, you're giving it enough energy, all the lights are on, everything's working. Right. Mm -hmm. But if we're not getting enough energy, we start shutting off the lights. And it's going to start shutting off lights in the places that you don't need to have lights on like sex drive, right? You don't have to have sex to survive, believe it or not. And so it starts Mm -hmm. shutting that down and it starts shutting down things like, um, 
like women who feel cold all the time, a lot of times that's because their body's protecting their organs, their internal organs in the center. And so they're actually feeling cold on their limbs, like their fingers and their toes and their feet and whatever. And that's because it's like, Hey, we're shutting down those lights because we need to protect what's most important, those internal organs to help you survive. Mm -hmm. And so it's really quite interesting. And then of course there's things like your mood and your energy levels and how Mm -hmm. much you can get done in a day and how quickly you yell at your kids. All those things are actually, um, kind of an outpouring of, or, or the wake of not eating enough. And sometimes like Brooke said, I love the way you put that. Sometimes it's intentional because we're dieting. Cause we have all this pressure and we want to get our body back or whatnot. Um, but sometimes it is truly, um, it truly is because they just don't have the support. They don't have the time. They don't feel like their health should come first because we do kind of have this mindset, at least here in America that, okay, you're a mom, your needs come last your, mm-hmm. your needs come last. Now you now have to put your kid ahead of you. And so you're like, well, I'll eat when the baby's sleeping, but then the baby's sleeping. You're like, okay, I need to and eat. I need to shower. shower. I need to drink some water. I need to take a nap. To I need to clean up the house <laughs> I need to sleep. Right. And so it's like, what do I choose? And for me, I choose sleep always <laughs> above always. I will always choose sleep. And especially if we're not eating enough, it will actually feel that to where we're more tired. And then we choose sleep more often. And it just is this like cycle that keeps going. Mm, yeah and because uh, that's definitely a commonly uh, like common thing that I hear with women and not just with eating with you know when it comes to starting to incorporate those healthier habits would it be like you know meditating or journaling or like you know I mean uh, adding to their own s- self-development and self-well-being um the common issue is time they just don't yeah. believe that they have enough time and of course like as we move into motherhood and become mums our time does become more restricted um yeah. but so how have you guys navigated that in incorporating this with the realistic view of that we we don't have as much time because mm-hmm. we have a lot more responsibility as mums Yeah. I mean, I think one, like one habit that we really try to instill in our members and followers and is just to really plan ahead and try to always have food available to eat every two to five hours or so. And so we are not believers in like, everything has to be homemade and you have to cook for hours on end. Um, there are so many snacks that are nutrient dense that are grab and go, or that you can leave in your diaper bag or that you can, um, kind of grab quickly while the baby's napping. And so we're pretty big on like what's simple and what's nutrient dense and by nutrient dense, you know, what's providing some some carbohydrates, some protein and some fat, um, and what's something simple enough that we could grab and go as a busy mom. Um, so I think having those nutrient dense snacks either in the pantry or in the fridge or ready to go, or in the diaper bag is really just such a necessity. And then another habit I always tell moms is to always have a water bottle with you. Like bring the water bottle in your diaper bag, bring it in your car, like always have water alongside of you just because especially if you're pumping or breastfeeding it, it is so important to stay hydrated and to eat enough. Um, and then for those of mom, those moms who are breastfeeding, I always encourage if you're breastfeeding or pumping, like have your spouse bring you a snack and bring you water every time you're a snack or every time you're breastfeeding or pumping. Um, and just kind of tell them, like set that expectation of, Hey, I'm breastfeeding or I'm pumping. And this is taking a lot of energy out of my body. And in order to maintain this milk supply, I need to be fed. And that may not look like three beautiful meals a day. It may look like six nutrient dense snacks a day. And that's okay. It's, it's really like, how can we just get some nutrition in consistently during those first few months postpartum? And again, that can look like making meals when you're pregnant and freezing them or, um, doing maybe a little bit more takeout or delivery during that time or ordering a meal delivery service or having friends drop off meals when you had the baby. So, um, there's a lot of different ways to kind of plan ahead, but I think just making sure that enough food is in your home and, and -hmm. things are easily accessible is one of the best things that you can do as a new mom. Yeah. And I, I absolutely love that. I think those are such great tangible tips. I want to kind of offer one that's maybe not as tangible, but more of like kind of a mindset is it is so important for our kids to witness and to watch us taking care of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And this goes back to us talking about 
kind of our why, and yes, it's for moms and yes, it's for their health. There's also this part of us that drives us to change the generational cycle, right? And part of that is them watching moms put themselves, not even first, but just on an equal playing field as everyone else. You're Mm -hmm. making sure your kids are getting fed, you know, three, four, five, six meals a day. The same should be said for you. And they should be watching you sit down and eat with them and take care of yourself. And it's, it might feel a little uncomfortable because of, you know, our culture, but when they ask you, Hey mom, I need more of this. You say, okay, one second, let me finish my food or let me take two more bites. I know toddlers don't have the waiting capacity fast, like 30 (laughs) seconds. So we start small. Let me take one more bite. And then the next time it's two more bites or whatever. And just showing them that, Hey, my needs are important as well. And it's a give and take. And yes, there's still some sacrifice that comes with that and, um, selflessness that needs to happen, but it's not all sacrifice all the time. There still needs to be that healthy balance. And it's actually doing our kids quite, um, a disservice to sacrifice to them all the time because Mm -hmm. it's perpetuating that cycle of saying, Hey, once you become a parent, your needs no longer matter like at all. And that's not what we're saying. We're not saying your needs don't matter. And we're also not saying, Hey, my matter, my needs matter more than yours. We're saying, Hey, we're all equals here. We all need to come to an agreement on how we can live in this household and in this family, taking care of each other's needs. And so I just kind of want to set our mindset that it's actually one of the best things we can do is to not wait until there's a perfect moment until both Mm -hmm. babies are sleeping and the house is clean. And then we're going to get a workout in it's saying, Hey, the house is messy and the kids are right here, but I'm still going to work out. I'm still going to move my body. It's Mm -hmm. not going to be perfect. I'm going to take them on a walk and yeah, I'll probably be carrying their bike back with them. But (laughs) Hey, I'm going to do a few lifts while I do it. Um, or, you know, it's not going to be perfect, but I'm going to sit down with my kids and eat alongside them. Or I'm going to prepare some of these meals like Brooke is talking about or snacks to have on hand while they're entertaining themselves. And they're also Mm going to learn how to play independently. I know from my own experience, when I was a first time mom, I felt like I had to be right next to my son every second of the day. And it had to be surrounded about him and only take care of myself when he was sleeping or with someone else. And it's just not true. And it's, um, it's actually doing them a disservice for them not to see us taking care of us as well. Does that make sense? Mm, I absolutely love that. Yeah. And it's just something we say all the time in the mama well is like, come here to fill up your cup. Because mm-hmm. if, if your cup is not full as a mom, or you're not filling it up, um, it's going to seep into your marriage and your yeah. relationships and how you parent. And truly it's going to impact those around us in a negative way. Like we joke, like when we're really hangry and haven't eaten, we're not pleasant people. So, <laughs> right. um, it's not like, I'm not going to parent at my best. If I'm hangry, um, I'm not going to have the patience with my husband. If I haven't gotten a workout in, in two weeks, like if I haven't gotten a walk in outside. And so a lot of it, it may seem selfish on the outside to say no and set boundaries and ask for help and say, I need a break. You know, I need a minute or to tell your kids like, Hey, you need to hold on. And it feels a little selfish, but when a mom's cup is full, it is going to positively impact the rest of the family because really mothers are that glue. (laughs) I mean, dads are amazing too, but moms really like hold the family together, you know? Yeah. And that, and that's, that's true too, just about that self-care, right? How important that is for us to fill up our cups. So we have something to pour out and we're not bitter about it and resentful about it. And so really finding those times and those boundaries to create time and space for yourself. Um, but also not waiting until it's perfect and it's not black and white and it's not just, Oh, let's white knuckle it until we get to a place where I can have this time. It's saying, Hey, how can I get 10 minutes a day? just 10 minutes a day for myself. Let's start there and then build on that instead of saying, okay, when they, you know, go to school or when I finally leave them with grandma and grandpa and feel okay about it. And I can go get a week away or a weekend away for a girl's night or something like that. You know, it's saying, okay, how can I fill up my cup a little bit every day? So I'm not running out or just white knuckling it until those moments where it feels like I'm going to get a huge bucket of water when in the reality, I think we've all been there when we're looking towards this like vacation or we're looking towards this girl's night and yeah, maybe it fills us up for a day or two, but then it runs out. And so how can we have this constant steady stream coming in and going out? And that's kind of part of the reason why we named ourselves the mama. Well, is this, this idea of filling up our cup and coming to the well and, and protecting our time and our energy as well. Mm, I love that. I love the play on words. It's just clicked for me. I didn't actually pick that up, but I love that. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's so true. Like, I think we do have this mindset sometimes in that 
you know, self-care requires hours of our time when it really doesn't. And it can be so much more effective just implementing 10 minutes here and there, but consistently every single day, um, 100%. And like for me, and it's why I talk about it so much, is just seeing how the shift and the change in how I now show up for my daughter since I have started prioritizing myself and my own growth and my own well-being and the difference in how I can show up for her is there's a significant difference. Mm-hmm. I'm so much yeah. more patient. I'm just more fulfilled and um, so many things. So there's just this huge flow on. Um, and I do, you know, I speak to many mums and there's this whole, you know, the mum guilt that comes up a lot of the time when we're having the self-care. And for me, it's always just, it, I always just try and in those moments when I am, you know, having some me time and indulging in some self-care. It's about remembering my why. Why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. You know, not just for me, for her. I'm doing this so I can show up in mm-hmm. my most fulfilled, happiest, healthiest self. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I did want to just touch on going back to the whole, what you were talking about in regards to our children seeing us, um, you know, putting ourselves first and eating properly and well. And um, it's just funny how, you know, we, we I've done it before and I know I've spoken to many mums and we even see on social media, this whole like mums like sneaking in treats and chocolate in the pantry and like hiding it from their kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Totally. And like, yeah. I've done it before. And like, I was just thinking as you were talking there, it's like, why have I done that? And it's, yeah. I think it's a mixture between like, not because, you know, we're always like trying to teach our children to eat healthy and not eat mm-hmm. bad food. And then, <laughs> but then we want to eat bad food. And then we feel like a hypocrite doing it in front of them. <laughs> it's like, what's your thoughts on that? Like, as in, you know, when it comes to indulging in treats and things like that around our kids. Oh, so, I love it. Oh, this is like, I'll answer quickly, but this is like (laughs) Alyssa's favorite thing in the world to talk about. So I will let her dive in. Um, So first and foremost, I think for a lot of us, we kind of use sweets and treats as an escape, right? So like when we have something sweet, like it tastes good, it makes us feel good and kind of that escape and like we're hiding in the pantry and eating our sweets, or once the kids go down, we're going to enjoy our sweets. I think so many of us get into that mindset of not only do we necessarily, like a lot of us are like, Ooh, we don't want to see our kids eating that. Cause they're going to want to eat that and not want to eat their dinner. Right. That's where a lot of our minds go. But part of it is I need a break and I have alone time or I'm escaping from my kids and I want to have two minutes to myself and I want to eat the sugar in my two minutes in peace. And, um, I think it's so important that we get, first of all, we get alone time in some sort of capacity every day. And that could just mean that you wake up early before the kids and have your coffee and a donut or whatever you want with that. Um, but I think Alyssa is going to touch on this deeper, but I think it's just so important to show our kids that obviously like all foods can fit in, in, a, in a normal diet and a healthy diet. And so sometimes what we'll do in our household with my toddler is like, we had cupcakes yesterday from a birthday party. And so we whipped out the cupcakes during dinner. And, uh, my two-year-old, honestly, he ate more cupcake than he did anything else. And it's like, that's not his norm. That's not something he does all the time, but last night that's kind of what happened. And, um, so it is important that we show kids that, um, treats and sweets and sugar can be part of like a normal, healthy diet. But I think as moms, what it comes down to is we really use sweets as an escape is, this is our time alone. We want to enjoy it. And so there's nothing wrong with that, but what sometimes that can lead to is sometimes it can lead down the path of emotional eating where mom's stressed out. She's anxious. She wants some alone time. Food is the now coping mechanism that we're using all the time. And sometimes that can lead to kind of a habit where all of a sudden we're like, man, like I didn't even enjoy that sweet. Like I ate it because I was stressed, but I didn't even get to enjoy the flavor. And I was, I was still stressed out while I was eating it because I was hiding in the pantry for my kids. So I actually didn't even taste it. What did it taste like? And so, um, I think there's like so many facets to this question, just because we all have different kind of like, like what's motivating us to have the sweets. Is it the alone time? Is it the fact that we haven't eaten all day? And so our body's craving carbohydrates. Is it the fact that we're trying to sneak, um, sweets, 
and not let our kids see that because we're fearing that they're just going to want to eat that and never touch broccoli again. Um, so I think there's a lot of facets, but Alyssa, I'd love to hear (laughs) since you specialize with kids and picky eating. Right. So I was going to say, so, um, I haven't really mentioned it yet, but so Brooke and I run the mama well together. I also run nutrition for littles on Instagram, um, which is all about picky eating and kids and food and forming that healthy relationship with food and not even necessarily forming it, um, or getting back to it, which is great, but also protecting it because we are born with it. We are born with this idea of like, we know when we're hungry, we know when we're full, um, we're able to tap into that. And a lot of times we lose that along the way, typically Mm -hmm. around picky eating, because we start, that's our first kind of um, experience usually with pressure around food. And it tends to then follow us into our adulthood where when we were kids, someone else had to tell us what to eat or when to eat and all these things. And we kind of hold on to that. And then when we're adults, that's, that's what makes it so easy to diet. It's because we haven't been trusted around food for years. And so Mm -hmm. this is why I see this such a strong connection and why I do both. Um, and this is such a great question because it comes up all the time, because like I just said, we want to model behavior. And, um, I think what Brooke was kind of touching on there is a lot of times, you know, and I've seen the reels, I think they're funny. I've totally done it where I've snuck Mm -hmm. a piece of chocolate here or there, like when my kids aren't watching. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. We're adults and it's totally fine. But when it's our only coping mechanism for emotions, is where we run into troubles. We should have a toolbox full of things that make us feel better in times of stress. And it's not necessarily always sugar. And there's a reason for that happening. There's hormone imbalances because stress is rising. We need something to cut that stress. And it is very true that foods, particularly chocolate can actually help cut that stress, but it's short-term. And so what we want to do is actually create an environment where we have long-term stress management that we close those feedback loops. So when stress comes up, which stress on its own is not bad. It's Mm -hmm. when we don't know how to close that loop and end the stress. Um, and when we start relying on things like eating, you know, ice cream or chips or whatever after bedtime, which we have all done, Mm -hmm. if that's what we're relying on, it's just going to get worse and worse. And when we talk about dieting, you crave what you restrict, right? And so with dieting, if you're like, oh, I can't have sugar, I can't have, um, I've never been on a diet or heard of anyone being on a diet that restricts candy. And then they go off the diet and they eat broccoli. Like, no, 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 you, you crave, you binge on what you were restricting for so long. And so that's just something to keep in mind as mom. And that's why we do what we do with mm-hmm. sweets in general for kids. The whole idea here is to ask yourself what you believe. Do you believe that it's healthier to have those moments where you are restricting and you're not as an adult, we're talking about adults right now, or even kids, I guess, but we're not eating any sweets for long periods of time. And then they're on the table. They're in front of us. Halloween comes around or whatnot. And all of a sudden candy is readily available and we eat a ton of it in 24, 48 hours. And then we go, oh my gosh, what did I just do? And we restrict it again. And so we have these like high spikes of time throughout the year where we're eating sweets. And instead ask yourself, do you think it's actually healthier to have sweets more in this like idea of moderation? I'm actually not a big fan of that word because I think it's been twisted by culture, but really more in moderation, these like slow ups and downs with desserts. And oh yeah, sometimes I have a cupcake with dinner and sometimes we have ice cream after dinner. And sometimes we have a piece of candy after Halloween or whatnot, but they're more available. And remember what you restrict, you crave and what you restrict, you binge. And the same thing is true for kids. So if you see kids who aren't around sugar or candy or cake, go to a birthday party and all of a sudden, let's say mom and dad aren't even there, or they're just kind of watching from the sidelines. You typically see those are the kids that are like, oh my gosh, it's cake. And they want, you know, (laughs) like they are obsessed with it. Right. We actually had this girl on the podcast who was talking about as a kid, she had a candy jar in her home growing up. And her friends would come over and just want to be with the candy jar, just eat the candy. Cause it was just always available in her home. And to her, it was like, no big deal at all. This is always just available. I can have a piece when I want it and just let it be when it's, when I don't, but her friends, she would get annoyed. Like, Hey, you're here to play with me. And all you care about is this candy jar. And I had a similar experience where I wasn't allowed to have sugar cereal, but my friends were. And so every time I went over for a sleepover that morning, I was like, let's go, it's go time. And I'm going to eat all the sugared cereal. And so what we actually want to cultivate in our kids is like Brooke said, a healthy diet where all foods truly can fit. Now, what that doesn't mean is, Hey, you have candy on your plate at every meal all the time, as much as you want, just like broccoli. We don't serve broccoli every meal, every day, as much as they want. Right. It's still just a food that we choose to, or not to put on the plate at different times. So ultimately we're still in control of how often they have access to it, but in actually including it in a way 
where they aren't obsessed with it. And it's not such a novelty that they're so excited to see it and actually have it in a way that's alongside other foods and built in a like balanced plate, if you will, it can actually be a really healthy way to preserve their ability to regulate themselves so that when they are adults, when they are released into the world, when they have their license, it's not the only thing they want to go and spend their money on because all of a sudden this very, um, shiny thing is available to them. And so one of the ways that we can do that is modeling that behavior to them as well, that we eat sweets when we want sweets and we stop when we're full and we're not afraid of sweets being in the home. We don't feel like we're out of control around sweets. And so that's what Brooke and I really talk about is healing your relationship with food, getting to a place where you yourself don't feel like you can't have something in the home and feel like you're free to make choices based on what actually feels good to your body long-term and short-term and not what's going to feel good in the moment, but actually lead to, um, harder things down the road, if that makes sense. And part of that is enjoying desserts and enjoying, for me, it's more salty foods. (laughs) It's actually more like chips and things like that, but enjoying them in a way that feels good and where I'm still in control. And I use those foods to actually fill myself up, whether it's my soul or my emotions or (laughs) physically or whatnot, and actually use it to make me feel good versus how I used to treat it back when I would kind of diet was this idea of, Oh, I can't even touch those foods. But as soon as they were available, like a Super Bowl party that I remember, I just kept going back to get more and more and more chips because I thought, okay, come Monday, I can't have this anymore. So I'm going to have as much as I can right now and try to enjoy it. That actually I ended up eating. I don't even know, probably bags and bags versus, um, now I can actually just have a handful and move on. And a lot of times those chips go stale in my house and which Mm -hmm. is so wild. I never thought I could get to that place. Um, But that's kind of what Brooke and I teach. Mm -hmm. Mm, So true. Hey, it's like this like punishment reward mindset and it's such a toxic cycle Mm -hmm. that we can get stuck in of restraining and indulging, restraining and indulging. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'd love to go like back onto, you know, how um, Brooke, you'd mentioned like, you know, when we get those moments to indulge, sometimes we can like, you know, scoff down a whole cake or like a cookie and through stress and then, you know, finish it and realize that we've not even tasted what we've just eaten or totally Mm -hmm. blanked out while we've been eating it. So I'd love to kind of talk um, a little more on our intuitions and how women can start to, I guess, build stronger connections with their intuition. Um, Mm -hmm. I actually did a course probably a couple of years ago now on intuitive eating and like I personally found it incredibly interesting and so helpful in changing my own eating habits and the way I eat um Mm -hmm. but it was also interesting to learn more on just how my body actually works and learning how the way I eat and even down to the way I think and Mm -hmm. like my thought process while eating impacts the internal processes within my body um Mm -hmm. and how much nutrients it's absorbing and things like that so I would love for you to share, you know, what intuitive eating actually is, what the benefits are and, and how it works. Yeah. So intuitive eating, it's a framework created by two registered dietitians. There's 10 principles and really, uh, Alyssa and I kind of broke down the 10 principles inside of the mama well in a way that we, we kind of used it in terms of like what order and, and what we realized was the most important and, and how that looked and what we've done with clients and members and what Alyssa and I kind of found the first step is awareness. And I think that is the biggest thing that members and clients have said over and over is, wow, I had no idea how unaware I was of my thoughts, my behaviors, my patterns, why I was choosing the cookies. And so many moms come to us and say, oh, I just have no willpower. Oh, I'm just emotional eating all the time. Oh, I'm just so stressed out. Oh, I can't control myself around food. And when we sit down and and peel back the layers and say, Hey, what if we just kind of took a step back and said, listen, you have permission to eat everything, but before you eat it, just ask yourself, huh, why am I doing this? Why is this thought pattern there? Do I have any thoughts associated with this food? Or am I choosing to eat this because I'm stressed out or because I'm in an emotional state? Like having awareness is first and foremost, the number one, most important thing when it comes to intuitive eating, because if we don't know why we're making a decision and we don't know what our thought process is, we can't make changes. We can't move forward. And so I think that is why, like we've created that as our number one step and stage in the, in the process of the mama well is, Hey, like, let's take a step back. Let's really dive deep. 
where did our beliefs stem from? I mean, one of our first calls in the accelerator is like digging deep into childhood. Like who first told you that your body wasn't good? Who first told you that eating carbohydrates was bad? Like, where did you learn this? Right. And then when we start to understand where these thoughts and patterns and behaviors started coming from, then we can start to say, Oh, is this serving me? Is this honoring my body? Is this respecting my body? Or is this not, is there a different coping mechanism that I could be using in this moment to help me cope? Um, and so then from there, after awareness, then you can kind of moving, move into like learning the process of intuitive eating and, um, kind of like unlearning (laughs) diet culture at the same time, and then really implementing those sustainable habits. And once you do that over and over and over, it does get to this place of like, thriving when you're like, this is really easy. This is effortless. Um, I'm not bullying myself into doing things anymore. And I'm really asking myself, like, do I want cake? Like how, how's my body going to feel in an hour? If I have cake, like I have full permission to eat cake. Um, Oh, you know what? Last time I did that when I was sad, I actually just, I didn't sleep well and it, it, it didn't really make me feel good. So maybe this time I'm going to, I'm going to try reading a book or I'm going to try calling a friend. And if I still want that cake, I have permission to eat the cake, but what would it look like for my body? If I tried to honor it in a different way this time. And I would say that the other thing is just awareness and experimentation. It's like have awareness with what you're doing and then experiment with different things and see how your body responds because your body is going to respond much different than my body's going to respond. Yeah. And I think the whole, the whole idea behind intuitive eating is saying, Hey, diets actually don't know what's best for you. Um, Mm -hmm. and we can see that just by the sheer fact that there's hundreds, if not thousands, if not more of Mm -hmm. diets out there, if diets worked, there would only be one and we would all Mm -hmm. be able to stick to it and it would be done. Right. Mm -hmm. Check, check, check. And instead saying, Hey, diets aren't working. And and here are the reasons why, and Brooke and I go into that all the time in our podcast, but what actually does work And intuitive eating says, you know, what actually works is your body. Your body can tell you when you're hungry, when you're full, what foods serve you and what foods don't, what foods give you great gut health and what foods don't exactly do that. Right. (laughs) And, and we get to have this experience, like Brooke said, of experimentation, trying it out. And it's also coming from a place of, um, zero guilt, zero shame, and more of curiosity Mm -hmm. and saying, Hey, what is my body like, what does my body like? How does it going to respond? How has it responded in the past? And at first it does kind of feel a little like drinking from a fire hose and overthinking, but eventually it becomes this practice that is so truly intuitive. And that's why they called it that, that it almost becomes like not even a thought process. I know, I know probably some people listening are going, no, no, no. I cannot stop thinking about food. It's all I think about. I'm constantly wondering if I should have that, or if I have that, what I have to do to work it off or negotiating with yourself and talking yourself in and out of decisions all the time. But it truly does get to a place of what we call freedom, where you're no longer controlled by your thoughts. It's not something that you're looking up the menu before you go out to eat, wondering what you can get and counting the calories and plugging it into your app. You're truly just listening to your body and saying, what is it that I need to sustain myself and feel really good and keep my energy high and all those sorts of things. And then even in midst of like what diet culture would call like a bad decision, this is all just part of it. You're not on or off. This is just the journey and there's no guilt and there's no shame. And we actually have an entire like section on dropping the guilt and shame because it's been basically Mm -hmm. bred into us to have that around food. Um, and it's just a really powerful framework that Brooke and I, the second we learned about it, we're like, yes, this is what we need. And this is finally what works. And it's the only thing, if you think of dieting, it starts off like on this high, right? You're like, oh, it's really, really, um, hard to diet. And like, we're, it's getting harder as you go on, right? As the days expand, it's getting harder. Intuitive eating is the opposite. It starts mm-hmm. off a little hard and then every day gets easier and easier because you're truly learning it, your body and it's yours. And no one else gets to tell you what to eat, how much to eat, when to eat, because your body is yours and you know it best. And even as a dietitian, I cannot look at you. I cannot ask you enough questions to, to know when you're hungry and how much food you need to eat to sustain yourself and feel good. I, I just can't, even as a dietitian, no matter what mathematical equations I'm handed, mm-hmm. you are you and yours only. And you're the only person that has to, and gets to live out the consequences of your decisions. And I mean that in the best way, right? Mm-hmm. So true. And it's like, it's so true when like, for me, you know, after doing the course and started putting those practices into place, 
I came to realize it's so crazy. Like our body is constantly giving off so many signals Mm -hmm. and it's constantly talking to us. And I think that we've just over the generations become so desensitized to our own intuition that we just don't, we don't hear it. We don't feel it anymore, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And another thing I found as well is, um, you know, just mindfully eating as well. I found myself like getting fuller quicker. Like, mm-hmm. as in, you know, I just didn't, I wasn't finding that I needed to eat big bowls of food anymore. If mm-hmm. I sat there and really mindfully, like, felt the textures and the flavors and just took my time with it, I would mm-hmm. get full when I, I'd had enough. Mm-hmm. It was like my body telling me, okay, that's it. I'm content. This is good. It's incredible. Yeah. It's an exercise that I've had so many clients, we've had so many members do where it's like, listen, you have full permission to eat whatever you want, but try sitting at the table, you know, try sitting at the table and really enjoying the flavor and the texture and smell the food. And it's such a more enjoyable eating experience too, when you're like enjoying the cookie at the Mm. table and, and eating it slowly and paying attention to the flavor and the texture versus like, Oh, the kids are over there. Okay. I'm going to sneak in all these cookies until they get back. Like it's just so chaotic. And something like you guys had touched on earlier, our body actually digests and absorbs nutrients based on, um, our mental state. So if we're stressed and anxious and eating, our body actually doesn't absorb and digest foods as well as if we're actually sitting down and enjoying food with like our friends and family. And so that's why, um, we are firm believers in like, you have full permission to eat whatever you want, whenever you want. Um, but really experiment with sitting at the table and eating it mindfully and eating it slowly and enjoying it and savoring those foods. And, um, you're going to notice, like you said, you're, you're, you're like, Oh wow. I'm satisfied so much faster than I thought I would be. Um, which is a really cool experience to, to have. hundred mm, percent. Some great mm-hmm. tips and advice there. So for any mums out there right now, listening to this and are really wanting, um, I guess, to know where to start. Um, what have you found have been sort of really breaking it down into just simple habits and practices? What have you found have been the most powerful habits that you've incorporated into your daily routines when it comes to prioritizing your health and sort of building a healthier relationship with your body? Um, could you maybe both give us your top three daily habits of just simple but effective practices? Mm-hmm. Yeah. My number one is eating breakfast. <laughs> Dang it, Brooke, you so I know. I, I knew we were going to have the same one. <laughs> Eating, eating breakfast, ideally having some protein at breakfast. Alyssa and I are like, our favorite is eggs. So any way that you can make eggs. Um, so that would be number one. Number two for me is like, I always encourage people just have water, uh, moms, especially like we go for the coffee first thing in the morning, but something I've taught so many clients is fill up your coffee cup with water first. Once it's gone, go ahead and fill up your coffee cup. So just getting in enough water, um, eating breakfast. And then I had already mentioned this earlier, but eating every two to four hours. So just making sure that there's something readily available, because what happens when we go like five, six hours without eating, our blood sugar is really low. We're way more likely to binge and overeat and eat past fullness. And we're not actually able to really slow down. So we're really hangry and feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm starving. We're just going to eat, eat, eat really fast. It's going to be hectic. It's not going to feel good for our body. Um, so it's actually better to just make sure that we don't let ourselves get too hungry. So those would be my top three, but I know I, I knew breakfast would be still. <laughs> <laughs> and truly it's like funny because Brooke is really the one that got me eating breakfast. I didn't yeah. eat breakfast for years. And this goes yep. kind of full circle to when we started, like how we met and how she truly was, um, ahead of me where I felt like, oh, I can learn so much from her. She taught me to eat breakfast and I was like, and I was so skeptical. I've never eaten breakfast. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And now my like number one tip is like eat breakfast, Mm -hmm. but I will kind of add to it a little bit is eat more breakfast, like eat a bigger (laughs) breakfast than you expect. And of course, this is something you can like work up to and really tune into, does it make a difference? You know, you can, you know, curse my name all you want, try it, just try it and see how it feels. Um, and give it some time to, to settle because truly I didn't ever feel like I was hungry until like 11. I was like, no, I listen to my hunger cues. I'm going to like whatever, but here's the thing is just, I mean, truly like Jade, what you were saying is we have been conditioned to kind of, uh, put those feelings down and, and stifle them and say, no, 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 no. You know, I'm not listening. And I'll never forget an example someone used 
um, of like calling a friend on the phone, if you call them on the phone and you're sending out this signal, right? Like daily or at multiple times a day, and they're not picking up the phone, eventually you're going to call less often. And eventually you're going to stop calling altogether. And so you can kind of think of that as your body kind of signaling, Hey, I'm hungry over time when you're not responding with food, because the only way to cure hunger, by the way, is to eat. Um, it's going to stop calling again, kind of like shutting down those lights saying, okay, this is, this is not a worthwhile, um, effort. This isn't worth putting energy into because she's not listening anyways. And so, um, just something to remember. So not only eat breakfast, but also kind of push yourself to maybe try increasing your breakfast a little bit. And this has taken some time, but truly has made a huge difference in believe it or not, how I eat at night, huge difference, how I eat at night. So that's my number one. My number two is doing some mindfulness practices. I think kind of what we just touched on, it can be the thing that changes people's mind about, Hey, maybe this actually is worth some time and effort into working on, um, just one or two mindful practices, just have some time by yourself. You can actually Google mindfulness raisin experiment, and you can go through that if you want mm -hmm. to. Um, of course we talk about it on our podcast and on, on inside the mama well, but, um, just doing that a few times can really open your eyes to how little you actually are tasting your food, how mm -hmm. infrequently you're asking yourself if you're even full or if you even like that food, how many members of ours have said, like, I thought I loved Twinkies. And now that I'm allowed to have Twinkies, I don't like Twinkies, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. but you thought you loved them All just because the you couldn't have them, you know, mm -hmm. absolutely. Um, so mindfulness would be my tip number two. And my third tip were to be balance your plate. And I'm so mm -hmm. surprised Brooke didn't say this. <laughs> But I know I figured he would. Uh, yeah. Right. Uh, we're going to cover it all for sure. Yeah. Um, but balancing your plate. And what we mean by that is we kind of have this formula. So PFCF, it's a really great way to remember it. So proteins, fats, and carbs with fiber. So anytime you're making yourself a plate or a snack, trying to find something in each of those categories can just give you um, a better balance, not only of nutrients to support your health and immunity and your gut health, but also to keep you fuller for longer so that you don't have to think of food all the time and mm -hmm. that you're actually sustaining yourself with the correct nutrients. So protein, fat, and carbs with fiber. And we do have some, um, Instagram posts to help you kind of figure out which food is, which, and how to make that, um, kind of come together. But that would be my third tip as well. Interesting. Some amazing tips. I absolutely love that. So Tell us what's next for you both in your journey. Do you have anything that you are currently creating through the Mama Well platform? I'd love to kind of hear your guys' vision and anything that you have planned. Oh man, we're so I excited. Know, so much. <laughs> I can <laughs> feel the excitement. <laughs> so of course we have the Mama Well community um, that was kind of like created from our own love of being in community together. And we want to share that. And just recently we started this thing called the Mama Well Accelerator. We just brought our first cohort through this accelerator program, this 30 day experience where people get to kickstart their journey because it truly took Brooke and I years mm -hmm. to get to where now we're helping our members get in just 30 days to really, truly go through those steps. Like Brooke kind of said that awareness, that learning, that implementing and that thriving so that they can jump into the community, feeling totally prepared to start adding in those healthy habits and learning, okay, what I get, what I not, what I don't want to do, but now what do I do? Right. Like, mm -hmm. what do I actually do day to day? To day? Um, and so that's really exciting. So the mom well accelerator opens again, October 18th. I'm not mm -hmm. sure when this is airing, but hopefully uh, before then, if before not, then. of course we'll have another one. Yeah. Okay, great. Mm -hmm. Um, we'll of course be opening it again, but, uh, that's what we're most excited about right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's just, we just saw this disconnect. So everybody is kind of entering the membership at a different like place, like some had worked with a dietitian and some had no idea what intuitive eating was. And we're like, okay, there's a disconnect here. What, what, do, okay. If it were us, what would we need in this situation? And we're like, what if we like put together this 30 day program that was just like the foundational steps. We did some like really intense, deep coaching and like brought everything to the surface and like, what would happen then? And it was just like, I mean, it, people's like success skyrocketed. It like got them to this point of, oh, okay, now I can easily talk about meal planning this month. And I feel good about it. Whereas people would enter before. And it was like, because we were all at different places, it was like, some people were really ready for meal planning. And some people were like, ah, I still get like 
it still reminds me of diet culture. Like, I don't know how to get away from that. And so, um, the membership is really that place where every month we have a focus of this month, we're all focusing together on getting more sleep. And so it's kind of like a fun challenge of, okay, guys, this month we're getting more sleep next month. We're drinking more water the next month we're doing this. And so it's just been really cool to like focus on habits every month, um, without being restrictive, because I think people have this misconception of, oh, intuitive eating just means eat whatever you want, whenever you want and ditch everything like ditch health. And that's not what this is. And so we're like, how can we actually give moms simple and sustainable habits to be successful long-term so that they never have to go on another diet ever again. And so we're so excited about the accelerator program and we're, we can't wait to like enter this next phase in October and get more, more women in like our goal. I kind of explained it this way, um, a, a little bit back on Instagram, I think, but it was so helpful. I think for the visual learners like me, as you guys can tell probably through this episode, but you know, there's this crater that happens in our lives where we were trusting our bodies. We were listening to our bodies. We were, you know, believing that we knew what was best for our own, you know, intake, like how much we were eating and when we were eating and whatnot. Right. And Mm -hmm. a lot of times, maybe that was just through babyhood or early toddlerhood. And then there's this crater where something happened. Someone said something, we believed something, there was enough piled on us that we no longer trusted our own bodies. And we started to look to outside sources to tell us what to do and when to do it and meal plans to follow and all these things. And there's this crater that um, happened whenever that happened to you. Some people it's college after college in childhood, whatnot. And then there's this moment where you come to realization saying, Hey, what I'm doing isn't working. Dieting is actually Mm -hmm. creating more harm than good. Um, I need something else. And that's where Brooke and I come in and say, Hey, we know what you need because we've been there too. And we've helped Mm -hmm. hundreds of moms do the same thing. And so there's like this edge of this crater. And what Brooke and I's entire goal is to bring you back to that other place, that, that first beginning where that crater happened and say, Hey, you can come back to trusting yourself. And we just hold your hand to get you back there. And then in all reality, our goal is that like, you don't need us. <laughs> you don't yeah. have to follow yeah. us. You don't have to listen to our stuff because you got it. You're equipped. No one can take that away from you again. And, and you're back to that place of self-empowerment and, and being able to listen to your own body. And so that's our goal. And what's really cool is then the community is there for you. If you want to stay and hang out with us and, and get support and pass that information on to other moms and other families and help them out too. And that's, what's really powerful about the community is not only are you learning and doing the work and getting help and getting your questions answered, but you're also supported by other moms who are saying, oh my gosh, I thought I was the only person doing that. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. I didn't even think of it like that. You're right. My mom said something similar to me or wow. I didn't even put those two things together. And when you start seeing the light bulbs go off on our calls of like connection or, or realizing that they're not alone in it and that there is hope. And there's someone kind of like who Brooke was to me for them. It's just so powerful to witness and be a part of. And a lot of people say, people in my life don't get it. When I tell Mm -hmm. them I don't want to diet and I don't want to intentionally try to lose all this weight, they are looking at me like I'm crazy. Mm -hmm. And instead the community provides this place where they can be themselves and learn and grow in a very safe place, feeling like they're supported and they're understood. And it's just an incredible experience. But ultimately our goal is to say, Hey, you're back. You're back to where you were. We've healed this. We've helped you through it, but ultimately you did that hard work. And now you're able to just have these tools for life, which is really incredible. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think like one big, amazing thing about a community aspect is when somebody has a win to me, it's so inspiring. It's like, wow, if that mom can do it, then I can too. Like, I feel like the community setting just lifts up other moms and that aspect of, oh, wow, it's actually possible for me. Cause I think one of the number one fears with people going into this process is, Oh, like, sure. It worked for somebody else, but it can't work for me. But when you start to see other people say like, wow, I hated exercise for 20 years. And now all of a sudden I'm going for walks and I enjoy it again. Yeah. It's like, oh my gosh, I can have that too. Maybe I can start walking every day and enjoying it. And so, um, I think it's just so inspirational. And I mean, I've worked with clients one-to-one I have worked with clients in a group setting and I have seen clients move much faster in a group setting and it's because of that support aspect. And even I'm clients in small group. They're like, Oh, we actually like mid program. Oh, Brooke, we actually coach each other. (laughs) 
<laughs> we text each other and coach each other. And if we need you, we'll message you. And like, it's great. You know, it's, it's like, wow. Okay. These moms are like doing it. They're coaching each other. They're rocking it. And then they still know they have me for support. And so I think that's why Alyssa and I are like, so like, that's why we love the community aspect is just because it, it it's just so cool to see other moms, like not only like when one of us is crying and like struggling and like other moms then are crying and struggling with you, like when you're celebrating, somebody else is there to celebrate with you. And so intuitive eating is, it is filled with like some highs and lows. Like it is, it is not a cakewalk. It is not like this, this super easy thing that sometimes Instagram can make it out to be, but, um, it is worth the process. It is worth, um, kind of the ups and downs because once you get to that end point, it, you never want to go back. So I think that is one of the coolest things to see for, for moms. Mm, I absolutely love what you guys are creating. It's incredibly inspiring. And I agree like that, that whole community feel and vibe is just absolutely inspiring. And I've witnessed it through the, the women's events that I've um, hosted here in Australia and the Mm. face-to-face events. I think it's it's so needed, especially for women, especially for mums, and especially in this time that we're in at the moment. Um, and it is such a ripple effect of empowerment. And um, like your, is it Christina mentioned? And like, yeah. it's like you guys, you're acting as this lighthouse for other women. And it's this flow on effect of women acting as lighthouses for other women. And it's incredible. The feels, it's incredible. And that's what you want eventually, you know, to get to, get to a point where they, they don't need you and they, they can build that self-empowerment within themselves. Exactly. So thank you so much for what you guys are doing. And I'll definitely be supporting and watching your journey. Um, I think it's so needed. Um, and I'm a huge advocate for everything that you're doing, not just for us as mothers, but for the next generations ahead. So thank, thank you so you. much for being on the show. For all of our listeners, if you would um, like to also follow Brooke and Alyssa's journey um, or interested in knowing more about what they have to offer, please make sure to head on over and show some love to their socials. Brooke and Alyssa, how can our listeners find you? Um, So you can find us on Instagram at the.mama.well. And then I can also be found at nutrition.for.mamas. And then Alyssa... Yep. And I'm at nutrition for littles with dots in between as well. And of course, thank you, Jade, so much for having us. We just love the community you're creating as well. And I'm just so honored to be a part of it. Yeah. Thank you so much. Amazing. Thanks, Brooke and Alyssa. Thank Thank you. you. Mamas, if you enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more from the Mother Hair podcast, please make sure to spread the love, like and subscribe so you can keep up to date with all our latest episodes and interviews. You can also head on over via the link in the episode bio to the Mother Hair Instagram community, where you'll find your weekly dose of inspiration, tips and talks all on motherhood empowerment. So I hope to see you all there.